I grew up in a religious tradition that uh, put a lot of emphasis on Mary, the mother of Jesus. And uh, to the point where um, when I was young, just getting started in life, my mother taught me the rosary. Uh, the rosary is, uh, it, it consists of uh, 50 uh, beads or so, uh, and uh, uh, the smaller beads and the larger beads or beads that are the same size but separated by some length with, with these other ones. And, and basically we would pray the Hail Mary and intersperse that with our Father. So we would do uh, I, uh, 10 Hail Marys and uh, our Father and, and, and you would go around. And we could, we could talk about um, uh, the, the relative benefits or deficits of, of that approach to prayer. But um, suffice it to say, as I moved into a very different experience with Jesus and came into um, the evangelical, the so-called evangelical uh, experience of Christianity, there, there was with that tradition an aversion to Mary where we didn't really want to spend that much time focusing on Mary, focusing on her life and the significance of her life, the role that she played in the life of Jesus, the role that uh, she, she may uh, be able to exert upon us as an exemplar of faith and faithfulness. Uh, we just tend to kind of write her out of the script and, and uh, we don't talk much about Mary. And, and so there's a, a big contrast there uh, between what I grew up with at least. And uh, in fact, as I was thinking over my life and my journey through uh, my adulthood as a follower of Jesus, I cannot remember personally, I cannot remember a single sermon about Mary. And it seems like this would be an appropriate time that during the Christmas season, the Advent season, as we prepare ourselves for uh, this great day in which we celebrate the birth of Christ, his coming into the world, uh, for us to spend a bit of time with the so-called Christmas story as it's told by the physician Luke in the third gospel, the gospel of Luke. Here in uh, this section of scripture, Luke tells us the background uh, to the birth of Jesus, to the conception of Jesus, and to uh, his subsequent birth. It says in Luke uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I've, I've gotten ahead of myself because I was having microphone problems there just before I got started. Okay, here we go. To verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, there are a couple of things that is, are, are set on the stage right at the outset. We see the angel Gabriel, God's great archangel who brings these announcements at certain key points along the way in God's story of salvation. And this, this angel does not come to 
Jerusalem or to one of the great cosmopolitan cities in the ancient world, he comes to this obscure village in northern Israel called Nazareth. Nazareth was so insignificant that it is not once mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, there's only one allusion to, to the, the prophetic significance in Matthew chapter 1 when it says this is to fill, fulfill what was spoken by the prophets that he, Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. What's interesting though is that there is no prophecy in the Old Testament that actually says that word for word. The closest that we have to that is in Isaiah 11.1. 1. And Isaiah talks about the Messiah being called the branch, which is the Hebrew word nazir, which sounds like Nazareth and may well have been the word from which the town Nazareth was derived. Branch, branch town, the sticks, Nowheresville, Weed, California. It would be something maybe like that, right? This is a place that is on its way to nowhere. That truth was driven home to me in bold relief when Diane and I visited the promised land in May. Toward the end of our trip, we visited northern Israel. We visited Galilee and the regions around Galilee, including Nazareth. And we had to wind around to go up the, the hills. And even then, even in modern Nazareth, which is populated by about 200,000 people now, it still is in the middle of nowhere. And still, as we wound our way up these hills in the tour bus and we finally stopped, we got out. And we walked over, we, we actually didn't go into the middle of Nazareth. We looked at it from a hill that we can only imagine Jesus himself must have sat on as a youth growing up. This is where Mary grew up. In this tiny little village that probably didn't have more than 100 people at the time Jesus was born. It was not on a trade route. It was not on its way to somewhere else. To get to Nazareth, you had to go to Nazareth. You wouldn't just pass through it on the way to somewhere else. Mary was in Nazareth, in Galilee, in northern Israel, in this tiny, insignificant place. Now, if we were to look at the planet Earth, we would say this is one tiny planet in the universe. But if we, if we could step back to where God exists, you know, think about this gigantic, this gigantic limitless sphere within God, within which God himself exists. And he has created this cosmos that's, that in itself appears to be endless. We know it's not. But for us, we still, with the Hubble telescopes and the other things, haven't been able to plumb the depths of this great, this great and vast cosmos, this thing God created. 
but for him, it's small. And, and you come down to the Milky Way galaxy and he's really getting small now. And he comes down into the solar system that is part of our celestial system here and down to Earth. And then you get down to the planet Earth. It's kind of like Google, Google Maps on steroids going in reverse, right? Where we're zooming in. Uh, and as we come down, we, we come to Israel, which itself is just this tiny little sliver, just a teeny tiny little sliver on the planet. And then as we zero in a little bit more, we get as close as we possibly can and we still can't see Nazareth. <laughs> and that is where Gabriel was sent. He comes to this tiny, tiny, insignificant place that's invisible to everyone except the people who live there. She was a descendant of David. She may have grown up hearing that she was a descendant of David, and that was something significant because David was one of Israel's greatest kings. <clears throat> but you think of who David was. David was the youngest of seven brothers, the least likely to end up being the king of anything, even a sheep. He grew up a shepherd. Oh, but he cared for his flock. He watched out for them. He was a fighter, a scrapper. He would do anything he could to protect his sheep. But in his wildest dreams, he could have never imagined being the shepherd of Israel. He could have never imagined when he was out in the flocks at night, warding off the, the bears and the lions and the other pre predators, that he would ever, ever be remembered as the, the paragon of the messianic kingdom, the one, the, the one king after whose kingdom Jesus's kingdom would be named. A descendant of David, the angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This in contrast to Zechariah, if you read earlier in, in the, this chapter, uh, Zechariah got this angelic visit before and it, he kind of freaked out about it. And so we see some funny parallels between the conversations between Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and Mary now. And we see that Mary, this quiet, unassuming girl, uh, teenage girl, showed a faith that towered over this priest who served in the temple. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Yeshua. Jesus, as we know it in English, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he 
will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered in quite an unexpected way, I'm sure. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Even now, that was news to Mary. She didn't know that Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, was going to give birth to John the Baptist. This was news to her. For nothing is impossible with God. And if God can see to it that an elderly, infertile woman, a woman who has been infertile all of her life, is pregnant now in her sixth month, then he can certainly do what I've said to you, Mary. God will God will see you with child and you will give birth just as we foretold. And now Mary's response to all of this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Oh, that's so different than Zachariah's answer. Zachariah said, uh, uh, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure that my, my wife is going to be with child and, and that uh, I'm going to have a son uh, named John? How can I be sure of that? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And uh, the angel said, I am Gabriel. I'm talking now what, what he said to Zechariah. Uh, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and you will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Zacchaeus didn't even have the chance to say, well, shut my mouth because his mouth was shut, and it didn't open again until he said, his name will be John. And that was the first thing he said until his son was born. Mary, on the other hand, Mary, on the other hand, said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Faithfulness, submission, obedience, open to God's will. So what does Mary do? Well, Mary heads over to Elizabeth's place because they've got this connection. They're soul sisters in a way, right? And so she goes and uh, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Something beautiful and unexpected is about to happen here as these two women, 
these women of faith, these women who were blessed with this miraculous thing that was happening to each of them individually, this comes together. But when Mary walks in, listen to what John the Baptist's mom says. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord said to her will be accomplished. Wow. And now, you know, sometimes this happens. Sometimes this happens in church. Sometimes it happens in whole nations where, you know, the Holy Spirit falls upon us and revival happens and all of a sudden all these crazy, wonderful, powerful things take place all at once by God's orchestration. And now Mary gets the Spirit too. Woo! You got passed right from Elizabeth to Mary. So Mary now takes off and she offers up, and this is only in Luke. Only Luke records this. This must have been floating around the church in oral tradition for Luke to have picked it up the way he did. Of course, Luke was writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But here we have this beautiful thing that's only here, told by Luke. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Wow. The people of Israel at that time were oppressed by Rome. Before that, they had been oppressed by Antiochus Epiphanes. Before that, Alexander the Great. Uh, before that, the Medes and the Persians. Before that, it was the Babylonians. Before that, it was the Assyrians. The people of Israel had wandered. They had strayed away from the covenant that God made with Abraham. And they had, they had apostatized in so many different ways through so many centuries. And now, at this moment, when it seemed its darkest, when it seemed the most hopeless, God came and visited them with their Messiah. And he picked this tiny, tiny little place and this obscure woman named Mary who had lived her life quietly in a village that no one knew existed outside the people who lived there. We find as the Gospel of Luke unfolds that Mary was a woman given to reflection. She reflected upon this 
angelic message when she first heard it. Later, as Jesus was beginning to grow up, he was 12 years old, and, and uh, they made the trek to the temple three times a year uh, for the different feast days. And they had gone and were at the temple and uh, as they headed back with the party. Now, this was a long way. It was not 90 miles. And 90 miles in the ancient world was a lot bigger of a commitment to travel than it is for us today. Um, I, my commute back and forth to work, I do 60 miles a day. You know, I had 300 miles a week. Uh, so so distant, traveling distance for us is, is not that bad. When I got cold, I was in Galilee. I just visited Nazareth when I realized uh, that that next morning I had COVID. One of the gifts that I received in the promised land. And uh, uh, we, Diane and I had to take a taxi back from uh, Nazareth or from Galilee uh, down to Jerusalem. And it took us maybe two hours in a taxi. It was a very pleasant drive. Not so for these folks. Traveling 90 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem, that would have taken days. And there was a risk of, of bandits or robbers attacking them along the way. They were, they were walking over the ridge route, which we learned when we were there as we became acquainted firsthand with the geography of Israel. They were going along uh, the ridge of the mountain. And so there, it was, this was not an easy trail. And, and in some places, the, the trail was no wider than, than two feet. Uh, and you'd be walking along. And so when you think of the roads that led from one place to another, like the Jericho Road, I was on the Jericho Road. You know what the Jericho Road is? A trail. It's a dirt trail. It's not a road. Most of it's just this tiny little trail. And it's been beaten flat by the thousands, countless of thousands of feet that have walked on it before me. But that, that's what they were traveling on. They were just moving through the promised land, taking their time. They were traveling with a big party of people. They'd gotten down there. They'd done their thing. And they all started back together as a group. And they were a couple of days on the way back. So they had traveled some distance before they realized Jesus was nowhere to be found. So in a panic, they, they hurried back. Now they're traveling alone. Just Joseph and Mary, so far as we know, making that trek back. Maybe a couple of friends went with him just to make sure everything was okay, but we're, we're not told. But it, most likely it was just them. And they, they hurry back to Jerusalem, passing other people who are going, heading back north themselves. And they're, they're pushing against the, the crowd on these narrow trails, trying to get back to find their son. And here he is in the temple and saying, well, what did you expect? Didn't you know I had to be about the things of my father? <laughs> it says Mary pondered those things. Mary pondered a lot of things. I mean, raising a son that never sinned. I mean, that has to make a mother wonder. You know, I mean, you know, Jesus never got into trouble, really. I mean, never talked back. He never did anything he should have said. Never told a lie. Uh, you know, that, that would be, uh, that would just be, uh, for some of us, a dream, right? You know, but, uh, but so Mary, Mary was this, this person who, who pondered. She pondered things as they unfolded, too. Because as Jesus, as Jesus grew up to be a man, she wondered. 
She'd been told that he was going to sit on David's throne. For her, that would have meant something different than for us today. Because you see, the people in that day and time, they were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for a person to deliver them. But they could not, in their wildest dreams, have imagined the kind of Messiah they would get. They were thinking they'd get a military leader who would liberate them from the oppression of Rome and set them free and reestablish the rule of Israel. To, to have someone who sits on David's throne is to have someone who did what David did. And what did David do? David was a mighty military man. He was a mighty warrior. Under David's reign, the, the scope of Israel's kingdom expanded all the way to the Euphrates River. It was a larger footprint than it had ever been in its history before, and little did they know that it ever would be again at, 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 during that season of their history. But they were looking for a Messiah who was going to liberate them and bring them into this different place. And so she wondered, she pondered, Jesus is, he's no longer 12, he's 19. Still working with his father. Still working as a carpenter. Now and again, she'd get a visit from someone who came. So how's Jesus doing? Well, you know, he's doing fine. He and Joseph are, they're, they're working the business, you know. How's it going? All right, well. You know, he still doesn't have that many friends. Not because he's not social, it's just that some people don't know how quite how to relate. You know, that's okay. That's all right. 21. 25. Still Jesus is living a quiet life. Mary would notice as Jesus walked to that bluff, walked through the little valley out of the town of Nazareth, up the way to the bluff that overlooked the entire uh, valley of the, the northern uh, Jordan River Valley. He would sit, he would pray, he would ponder, he would read, he would sit with the rabbi in the synagogue, but otherwise he was leading a quiet life until he was 30. And then on one of those rare occasions, he packed his bags and he, he took a trip just for a while and went down to visit his cousin, John. And then weird things started happening. He was baptized by John and then all of a sudden he disappeared. Not, we just didn't see him for over a month. He was gone. But when he came back, you could tell something had changed. But we couldn't be sure quite what it was. He came back and we gathered together at this wedding feast. Some friends were getting married and, and uh, look at that, they're out of wine. Well, I know how we can fix that. Jesus, Jesus, come here. I want to talk to you. They're out of wine. Do something but my time has not yet come. He'll take care of me, she says to the attendants. 
and leaves it with him. And you, you can see now Mary has fully embraced her role as this wonderful Jewish mother with all that character, you know. And she probably just gave him a, like a stink eye kind of look. Like, <laughs> you know, you can imagine. And walks away and Jesus does his thing. And thus begins the messianic ministry of Jesus. The other gospels tell the story differently. They tell the story that, that right after Jesus came back after the baptism, boom, he's on the road and he's moving and shaking and things are happening. Luke tells us, or John tells us that, that uh, Jesus had a different start. And a lot of it had to do with his faithful mother who knew something about him at that point that no one else in the world did. And it goes back to this angelic visitation. When I think of who Mary is and what she brings to the equation for us as we reflect upon the Christmas story, I can't help but think that through her life, she dealt with more anticipation, more hardship, more questions, more delayed gratification than most of us ever actually give her credit for because we don't think about Mary much. But the truth is, Mary is a lot like us. See, we live in the middle of that hopeful tension between what we've heard in the way of God's promises and what we have yet to realize. In many ways, Mary is a symbol of the church, the journey of faith, hearing something that's too incredible to believe, but yet accepting it and beginning that journey, that journey of faith that journey of anticipation that the greatest of God's promises will be fulfilled. But things didn't always look victorious in Mary's life. As she made her way through life, her husband died, didn't see what her son would become. That must have been a source of grief. She saw Jesus become a teacher Maybe things were finally getting underway, but wait. Things went horribly wrong. And the political tensions between Jesus and the religious leaders became intolerable to the point where they finally, they finally succeeded in crucifying him. Mary was there. Mary watched her son get nailed to the cross. She heard some of the last words of her son before his death say to one of his closest disciples, the disciple John, Mother, behold your son. John, behold your mother. Jesus was giving Mary over to John and John over to Mary for John to carry the burden of a son 
and to make sure that Mary was cared for in her old age. Mary was there when Jesus was raised. She was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. She too experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. She saw the birth of the church. She saw as things began to take place. And then uneventfully she passed. She passed into eternity. Scripture doesn't tell us when. We know little about Mary's actual death from the pages of history. We have stories, but no specific things about Mary herself. Nothing in, in God's inspired word about Mary's death. And so it is with the church. We live amid the promise and the full realization we haven't seen Jesus fully come in his glory, but we live in that tension. And what Mary tells us, what Mary models to us really, is that life this side of eternity is a mixed bag. We're going to have those moments of great victory when water becomes wine, when prayers are answered, when throngs of, of hung, spiritually hungry people come to, to uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And we're also going to go through times of persecution and loneliness. And until the Lord comes, you and I too may end our lives quietly this side of eternity, our bodies going into the grave in hope of that ultimate resurrection. But in this season, as we think about the Christmas story, we think about not only what happened in the past as these marvelous things took place, but it inspires us to keep looking forward past all of the stuff that we deal with this side of eternity. All of the economic uncertainty and political unrest that we experience in our nation, the rising and falling of gas prices, the stock market going up and down, our retirements account, our accounts going with it, you know, woo, woo, woo. Uh, it, uh, we wonder about the future of this nation, whether this nation will endure. But here's what we can know. We can, we can live in the spirit of this woman who modeled to us faith and faithfulness and say that because Jesus came because he came and he lived and he died and he was raised again, he will come again. And in the meantime, no matter how things look, whether things are good or bad, we can have hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this exemplary life, which inspires us to think about how best to live before you. Help us to be like Mary in obeying your promises and offering up ourselves to let your will be done in our lives. Help us to be 
like her to have her faith in saying, your will be done in our lives. Help us to hold on when we face difficult times and times of seeming hopelessness. And help us, Lord, to live for you and to expect with great joy and anticipation your coming kingdom. The first beginning of which we celebrate this month. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.